0: Welcome, folks, to another episode of That Anita Live. I'm Anita, your host. Here today with me in studio is the clinical director of National Pike Health Center in Maryland, co-host of the On the Couch radio show broadcasting on WOLB 1010 AM in Baltimore. She's the author of the best-selling book, Letters for You, Asiyah earned a BS in psychology from Morgan State. Go Bears. Go Bears. <laughs> she is an MSW of, from, of social work from the University of Maryland. Lord, these initials. How many degrees do you have, girl? <laughs> and an MSCJ. <laughs> That's a Masters of Science in Criminal, Criminal, Criminal Justice. Justice. Yes. From Kaplan University. Qualified, y'all. Qualified. <laughs> Welcome Asiyah Ragsdale to the show.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so excited and happy to be here. Thank,
0: Thank you, you very much for coming Yay. out. Driving from way on the other side of the state to hang out. The other the side state. of the yes. <laughs> yes, yes.
1: So, what made you go into mental health in the first place? You know, I didn't want to do it when I got out of high school. I was like, I want to do a career where I'm going to make some good money. I went to Morgan. I was like, I'm going to be this engineer. I just wanted mm-hmm. to graduate from school making. Six figures. I just wanted to build things, make things work. Mm -hmm. And I got, but I knew I was supposed to do mental health, but I always felt like mental health didn't pay any money. So I was kind of like running from that calling. And I got to this one math class, and I was always good at math, and I just could not understand it. I took calculus, Mm -hmm. and they were like, well, we want you to find a limit to infinity. And I just. I could not figure it out. I mean, I spent hours and hours in tutoring. I stayed up all night and I was just like, okay, Lord, I hear you.
0: Been I there, done
1: you. that. I feel like he literally shut my brain down when it came down to this math class. Wow. And, um, after that quarter, I went and had an honest conversation with my advisor. I switched my major over to psychology and I graduated with no issues once I got obedient. Once you got obedient. Once I got obedient. (laughs) It, It was just like flying colors. So,
0: was there anything, once you got into mental health? Yes. Once you switched over to psychology, was there anything that you began to learn that made you reconsider?
1: Oh boy. Not necessarily in psychology. I think once I got to my masters, I definitely wanted to reconsider and I wanted to run because when you get to the root and the level and the nature of people's hurt and when you really see the core of um, what drives behavior, mm-hmm. oftentimes it's so much easier to just turn the blind eye and walk away because once you know you're responsible and you're accountable and things that's easy to judge, you can no longer just judge those things. Mm-hmm. Um, Quite so easily, you kind of develop empathy and sympathy for people that sometimes other people don't have empathy and sympathy from. And they almost kind of put you in that same category um, when you do empathize with the other side. Yes. You know, So it's kind of like that balancing act. Um, it's a balancing act. So how long have you been in the mental health profession? I've been in the mental health field, uh, let me see, approximately since 2008, I would have to say. So a little over, about 10 years. I'm I'm coming up on my 10-year mark. um, And I started off on a very direct care level as I continue to progress through um, academically, you know, to rise up, I guess, the food food chain, so to Mm -hmm. say. But I started off at the literally very ground level. Doing. Um, I started off as a PRP, which is a psychiatric rehabilitation worker. They work directly in conjunction with therapists. Um, they do a lot of community-based work. With okay. um, Now,
0: break that down for us and put it in, say, um, everyday lay language or street terms. Is that schizophrenia? Okay. Is that bipolar? It's is that all depression?
1: That. So it's all of that. Um, for young people, for children and adolescents, it can be anybody with any type of mental health issue. You could be a parent and say, you know what? My child has extreme anger issues. They have poor social skills. And then a counselor like myself can come along and we can work with them on those skills in real life um, situations. I take them out with a group of kids and as usual, some type of conflict will happen. And in the moment when I see the conflict arise, you know, you can give them step-by-step ways to Handle the conflict without fighting, or without being verbally aggressive, or without being mm. shy and quiet. You know, you literally can model and role play in the moment with children. I know some adults that need some so role <laughs> adults, <laughs> so role play. Or... Exactly, we do that. You know, I've done that um, with adults. On well, the adult level it looks like helping them with parenting skills, connecting them to resources in the community, mm-hmm. helping them fill out applications that a lot of adults take for granted that they can do. Some people are challenged with that, yes. and you know, I was blessed very early on. In my career, to be able to help work with all types of individuals to get them to that next level and that next step of where they need to be, but yeah, absolutely right. It's <laughs> it's a lot, and you see a lot in the community <laughs> when you do community-based work. You see a
0: lot. Like for instance, what, what something we had happen in the area right, mm-hmm. re- just within the last couple of days, mm-hmm. where a hospital in Maryland uh, walked a lady out in a wheelchair. To a bus stop, and nothing but her hospital gown, and left her there at the bus stop. Blessedly, though, there was someone that works in the mental health field that was nearby, noticed it, saw saw something wrong, and intervened.
1: And I, you know, and I saw that clip and I posted it on my page mm-hmm. and I said, "Where's the humanity?" I mean, that situation just clearly broke my heart because when you saw the video. That is somebody's mother, that's somebody's friend, Mm -hmm. that's somebody's aunt, that's somebody's child. And the essence of what I saw was some brokenness. You know, you saw some type of mental health issue, something, she couldn't defend herself, she couldn't communicate. Mm -hmm. And what was worse was when the man, um, the advocate, I don't remember his name, but when he was reaching out to the hospital staff, it was like the level of just no empathy, no compassion. And that was the part that I was talking about where I said it's like a double-edged sword because when you see and you know, you understand on the other side. People who don't, it's kind of like, they don't understand why you're so compassionate, right. you know. They, it, it. Now, what do
0: you think broke down this system? What happened? Why did they leave her there? Because on the other side of the coin, you can look at, say, the hospital bill,
2: mm-hmm.
0: say there is no accountable family member or next of kin, and there is no uh, bed, available at a nearby facility that's long-term care I still
1: think all of those things are ridiculous what and I I say that they just say orderly the guy that wheeled her out let's call him an orderly what choice did he It cost the hospital nothing to let somebody sit in the waiting room there was heat and warmth in the waiting room it cost the hospital nothing to give her at least a blanket also every hospital is equipped with a social worker there's a social worker on staff that even if they had to allow her to sit in the waiting room all night until that next social worker came on shift, okay. that they could have worked to find some place stable for her to go. Now, I do get that there are sometimes shelters that are booked, that are whatever the yes. case may be, mm-hmm. but there are also other alternatives. Like because she has a mental health issue, there could be a day bed in a um, hospital. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. there are just so many other alternatives and variables that we don't know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that and it would have been helpful um because i think i saw this morning where the president of the hospital or CEO yes. of the hospital. He came and he issued an apology. He made a statement. And he made a statement, mm-hmm. but nothing in his statement. He could not address what steps were taken to provide appropriate services for this woman. He could not say she was violent. She was any... It, it was just no plausible explanation from a clinical perspective that yeah. I could see um, as to why she had to sit out in the freezing cold. I just... That was just a bit much. It was, for me. but
0: I think everybody <sighs> felt that way because yeah. they're like, "Where is the compassion?" Yeah, we lose that mm-hmm. sense of humanity. We Where lose is? It. What options did you have that you did you that you did not exercise? Mm-hmm. Because, and I say it a lot to friends of mine when I say public school is failing us because they're not requiring students to think. They're not requiring them to process thought to be able to get to a point. To where you say okay now i'm at work i need to think outside of the box yeah. what else can
1: we do so you know about the issue of baltimore city school children yes. where there's no heat there the one picture that just broke my heart was the children huddled up together trying to stay warm mm-hmm. i just don't understand how when maryland is one of the richer states in the united states yes how and i'm gonna have to say people at the top have been allowed to misallocate funds for these babies i mean we want to talk about education, but we have to have the proper uh, facility for children for mm-hmm. learning to mm-hmm. take place. You know We have to have the proper mental health structures put in place to address that both inside of the schools and inside of the homes. What really breaks my heart is a social worker is when a kid wants to go to school because that's the only time that they eat.: Yes, yeah, We've had that. this says a lot
0: here in the d c area also. Yeah. we had a teacher whose eyes were open because the child kept falling asleep in class. But then when they ask the student, you know, what is going on? Why are you falling Mm -hmm. asleep in class? Now, all of a sudden, then they had gotten put out of their apartment, hadn't eaten, didn't have money for breakfast, and the the list just went on.
1: What are some of your toughest cases? I was just about to lead into that. (laughs) And oh, my goodness, my toughest case was I was an intern, and it was my very first case as a therapist. My Mm. first case as a therapist, I think, was the hardest case ever. I was interning. I don't even want to say where I was interning Mm -hmm. at, but it was a child advocacy type program where I was interning. And it was a little girl who was being molested by her mom and her stepdad. And I my task, my job was to go through the entire process with this young lady that day. We went through the. physical exam uh, room where they did a special uh, exam for children Mm -hmm. to check their genitals to see if there was any penetration or anything like that. Mm -hmm. There was proof that there was. Um, And then you go to what's called a forensic interview where there's a trained forensic social worker who is asking the The violated youth questions Mm -hmm. and behind this glass screen it's like the sheriff's office the police officers and they're taking notes because obviously Mm -hmm. if too many people in the room you know the child is going to be shut down right exactly and so because she was my case i'm going through each step by step with her and i was just sitting there thinking to myself what am i going to do with this little girl what happens when the one place and granted children go through a lot but mommy should always be a safe place yes Mommy is always that pillow where you can land, where no matter how hard the day has been, you can come home to tell mama and mama is supposed to make it all right. right. But when mama is the nightmare in your dream, mm. and daddy's in another state, no. oh, that case, oh, that case made me want to reconsider my, my field. That case was hard, but I stood, I stuck it out. I stayed with her and her family for three years and I watched her grow. I watched her get her voice. I watched her, I watched this case develop all the way to going to court. She confronted her mom in open court. She confronted mom's friend in open court. And the court- how old was she? When the case first started, she was 10 going into 11. Okay. By the time we went to court, she was 13. Wow. Um, it made me lose a lot of respect for our court system mm-hmm. um, because the judge ruled against her. But he knew she was telling the truth. But what he said was, he said, I can't rule with what I know. He said, I have to rule according to the law. And what he said was, he said, the law is is that you have to come and make your case without, something like without a doubt. Like it could not be any doubt that mm-hmm. something else um, could have happened. And he said, because there was some doubt that was proven by the, uh, by the defense attorney he was able to put punch holes and obviously if you sat there and watched the case she was communicating on a very 13 like level yeah. and he was asking her questions um, that were clearly over her head you know and he would like reword things that she said so that she felt like you were saying the same thing that she was saying but from an adult like um, perspective you could tell he was playing her, playing her and she fell into it and obviously she's 13 you know so she played into it And the judge was very angry. You know, he was like, if this was if I was not governed by this book, and he held the book up. He said, if I was not governed by this book, he said, you would never see the light of day, he said. But according to this law, I have to dismiss the case. So that was a rough day. But it was really good because I was able to tell her you found your voice. You know, you said what you had to say, you know, and that was just more freeing than anything else that that you could have ever done. No victory like finding your own voice. Cause I told her nobody can ever take that away from her.
0: We'll be right back with more from the legendary co-hosts of the On The Couch radio show, one of the baddest <laughs> mental health radio shows in the land. Yes.
2: What if I told you that you could stop the negative tape from playing inside your head? What if, with seven simple steps, you could leave the pain of the past behind and live every day as your true, authentic self? It is possible, and you can do it. The ebook, Seven Simple Steps to Beat Emotional Baggage, How to Become Whole, Healed, Healthy, and Happy, shares how to resolve emotional baggage. And feel free to live true to your own personality spirit, and character. Transform negative thinking into positive thinking and become equipped to boldly face your past and resolve emotional pain. Get your free copy at ThatAnitaLive.com ebook.
0: Welcome back. We're here with the mental health clinician, Miss Asya Ragsdale, Yes, ma'am. <laughs> One of the best and the baddest <laughs> in the land. <laughs> Gets it done over there. We try. We are definitely trying. A hot button right now is depression. And it really seems as if people are watering it down because somebody has a sad mood. Oh, you're depressed, you need to go see somebody. Yeah. Why the, the confusingness is actually hurting more than it's helping. Yeah. What can we? as lay people in the everyday community, Mm -hmm. in these cubes and in these offices,
1: do to recognize clinical depression? You know, um, I love the website NAMI. Um, NAMI does a lot of work with uh, mental health in the uh, community and they do a great job of breaking it down so that even if you're not a clinician or you're not in the field, you can understand. And on their website, they have the most common mental health disorders listed, as well as symptoms that you can look up and that you can look through to identify. Oh, yeah, I have five of these symptoms. I could be this. You know, I have three of these symptoms. I could be that. And And it does require more than one. It does require more than one. Not just No, right. No, even (laughs) even for people who think their kid is ADHD, like, Mm -hmm. oh, my kid won't sit still. Well, that doesn't qualify as ADHD. There's like six or seven Say out of 12 that. different qualifiers that. You know, that your child yes. has to meet in order to get a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Now, the issue is that there are a lot of factors that go into your mental health. You know, there's social issues, there's economic yes. issues, mm-hmm. there can be situational issues, you know, that can weigh and play on our emotions and our feelings. But it doesn't necessarily dignify us as having a clinical yes. diagnosis. And... I always say therapists are your friends, you know, even if you're not sure, just yeah. go talk to somebody. Yeah. You know, it's nothing wrong with checking somebody out saying, hey, can I just have a consultation? This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. I don't know if I need sessions, but can you just give me like an initial yeah, help me talk this, help through. me talk this thing through, you know, and that's just me. I'm always like, go ask, go see, go find, you yeah. know, go find out what's going on
0: in the news. Whenever there is a mass shooting, yes. the first thing we receive back as a possibility oh this person had a mental illness Mm -hmm. why is that what they turn to
1: well honestly I think that a lot of times people turn to that because there's no real explanation you know whenever there's not an explanation people are always looking for a reason why like when somebody dies you're always trying to figure out why you know you Oh, they died because God needs a new flower in his garden. Oh, they died because, you know, God needed him more than me. And whatever you believe, you know, is great. But but when we get things that we don't understand, I think it's just human tendency to try to put a label on it, to just try to figure out what it is. And one of the things that my pastor says, he said this on New Year's Eve, and I just fell in love with the statement. He said, if God was small enough to be understood, he wouldn't be big enough to be worshipped. And that is. I was like, wait a minute, wow. time out. I was like, say that again. Right. Say, right. say that Say that one more time. Like, let me thoroughly understand what you said. Let mm-hmm. me grasp that. Mm-hmm. You know, that if God was small enough to be understood, he really just would not be worth my time to worship. Okay. And I think that there are times that we don't, um, we're not okay with not knowing. So we always try to put a label on it. But just in my field and just, I see his perspective. I would ascertain mental health to a lot of things like mass shootings, um, I I would definitely say that there's something going on, that they're not talking about, that they're not expressing, that they're not getting help for, and that's why they're expressing themselves in that way. You know, I love cognitive behavior therapy, and it talks about what you think is how you feel, and how you feel is how you behave. Mm -hmm. And obviously, if I'm behaving in such an egregious way, I'm thinking and feeling some very inappropriate things. But a lot of the
0: times, it just comes out of the box. It's not something that they've noticed in their behavior for like the last... I would have to disagree Three, four, with that. Five if you
1: think about the Virginia one, right, mm-hmm. the, the the uh, what was that, the Virginia Union, Virginia College, they were at some Virginia College, the mass shooting that happened, yes. this was a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Which one was it? Virginia Tech. Okay. The professors and the students, when they were called back, they were kind of like, well, he was a little weird. He was a little off, and I always say hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, because in the moment you see people, people are a little weird. People are a little, they're different. I hate this. I hate to use of the word weird. Weird is so non-clinical, mm-hmm. but just in the everyday conversation, you know, people do things that's a little off kilter, and sometimes we don't ascertain anything to it. We're like, oh, that's just Johnny. Oh, he just that's just that's just Uncle Bo. You know, like that's just how they are, and then something happens, and it's like. Maybe I should have said something. That was a little. Because the question is, but how long has that person been that
0: way? You know, and I don't know. And I'm... because one, they got into the university. Mm-hmm. Two, their family dropped them off. You, we would
1: think that family wouldn't drop them off if they had. I don't know. Some families <laughs> I know they are looking for places to send their people. You know, because they want to be somebody else's problem and not theirs. You know, and sometimes. Sometimes people think things can fix their family, whether if it's church, whether if it's school, whether if it's another relationship, we always look to the exterior to fix what's really going on on the interior. You know, and I always wanna be clear, mental health does not necessarily interfere with cognitive ability. You know, you can be intelligent enough to get into a college or a high school or a high performing, Whatever, but necessarily your emotional, mental side may not be strong enough to sustain you there.
0: Then they say that there's a thin line between genius mm-hmm. and psychotic.
1: I would agree with that. <laughs> I would definitely agree with that. Why? Because a lot of times people escape. You know, mm-hmm. I think anything without balance is not good. You know, um, and I love being smart. You know, I have several degrees, right? But, I, yes. but if I was to be transparent, I got some of those degrees after going through some very hard times, you know, and it became easier to just kind of like put my reality on hold for a second. Well,
0: speaking of hard times,
1: <laughs> we have written a very transparent, very transparent book, book <laughs> called Letters for
0: You. Yeah, actually, one of your reviewers sent me a little something. They said, hey, the book is about the journey of self-discovery. What this reviewer? Described it as the author being very raw with her emotions. It makes you feel like a peeping Tom looking into the window of her experiences. The author is not interested in pity or sadness from the reader, but interested in giving the reader a
1: sense of hope. Mm, that's nice. They would talk about these <laughs> <laughs> Yes. No, that's good. So
0: how, I mean, but hearing that, how does that make you
1: feel? You know it makes me feel humbled, mm-hmm. you know to be honest, because I had started writing this book when I was 9. And when I was 9, I lost my dad. And this goes back to trying to figure out and understand something that's not really understandable. Mm-hmm. I remember writing little short stories about a little girl living in a castle, you know, and the king died and okay. but I was 9, you yes. know, and as I continued to grow it just seemed like more things kept happening and I remember I sat down to write that book at 18 and my computer crashed I had written like 200 pages on word and my computer was like <laughs> nope and it was unrecoverable and then I remember I tried again at like 20 and something else crazy happened and then I tried again at 21 and then my mom got killed and then I tried again wow. and I was just like I feel like I have this story that's got to come out, but every time I tried to get it out, it just wouldn't come out. And then I realized I wasn't where I needed to be in order to write it. Okay, you know, so, so.
0: I'm going to call out one of the titles from the table of contents. Okay. <laughs> and you tell me what that chapter
1: is about. Okay. And what it means in your life. Okay. Okay. Broken. Oh, man. Broken. Broken represents so many things. In that chapter, I was really reflecting on my time after my father passed away. Um, just to give you like a little bit of a baseline to the book, it's, a, it's called Letters for You because every chapter is a different letter to alphabet and it goes from A to Z and it goes in chronological order. So it starts off. Um, I think I was about nine or 10 and broken. Maybe I was a little bit older, but in that broken space, because I did not effectively deal with my dad's passing away, I began making really bad choices, you know? And those choices, they really almost killed me, you know? And um, it's almost like a mirror. And if you can imagine like a ball hitting a mirror and you're still trying to look in that mirror to get a picture of who you are, Mm -hmm. that vision is distorted, but you don't realize that you're looking at a distortion. You're just accepting that that's really what it is. And I don't know if that analogy is making sense, but it's making sense- Yeah, because
0: even as the mirror breaks and the lines are shown, you still see what was originally there. What was originally there. And you're not dealing with the broken pieces that you have on the inside. Exactly.
1: But meanwhile, those broken pieces are cutting at you, and then in turn, you're cutting other people that you're coming in contact with. Mm. So, <laughs> humiliated. Oh, humiliation! That was um. After my sexual abuse, that was after. Uh, I remember I had to be very transparent, and I went to the hospital. You know, and they did the whole rape kit, and then from there. remember if it was like a day or two later I had to go meet with the district attorney you know to share my story and I just remember how dirty and just how humiliating it was and I told my mom you know and that was really hard you know to Mm -hmm. express those types of um, feelings in front of your mom and to really confront the fact that things were happening to you that you had no power and no and control, control over. and Again, it's another one of those things where you try to rationalize, what did I do? Was it something I wore? Was it something I said? Mm-hmm. Maybe it was my perfume. Maybe I shouldn't have wore my hair like that. Trying to take the blame You try yourself. to take on the blame and you try to own the responsibility to figure out what could you have done differently to stop that situation from happening. So that was humiliated. Moving forward. Moving forward... Moving forward, um, I believe off the top of my head, that was the chapter that dealt with my mom getting killed and me figuring out how to put my life back together after that. Um, I was at a crossroads at that point because I had to make a decision. Was I going to be mad and angry and bitter and kind of spiral like I did with my dad? Or was I going to try to really uh, hone in on my relationship with God and trust him to really move forward from a healthy place and from a healthy perspective and i really had to fight through some things emotionally i had to fight through some battles some thoughts some challenges you know because i was 21 with no parents and i was 21 just graduated and i just really kind of felt- from undergrad right. yeah from undergrad and you went on to get two master's degrees <laughs> clearly yeah it is very possible it to is- keep It is possible, you know, but I I can honestly tell you if it was not for my relationship with God, if it was not, that has been the anchor Mm -hmm. and the sustaining force of my life. Had it not been for that, I don't think I would have been here. So for the person out there right now
0: that is struggling with, they know they have some internal emotional baggage that they Mm -hmm. need to deal with, but they're still going through the process of being ashamed.
1: Mm -hmm. How would you suggest that they work through it and find someone professional to speak to? Well, that, you know, that's a tough one. Um, I don't know if that person will have a support system that maybe that can go with them, uh, you know, to hold their hand through that process. I would always suggest finding a trauma focused therapist. You know, there are many different therapists. There are many therapists that have different, um, I guess, specializations or specialties. For the person who's experienced a specific trauma, try to find a trauma-focused, trauma-centered type of therapist, one who is specifically trained um, for that situation. And to be honest, that was one of the reasons why I wrote my book, right? Because oftentimes as therapists we're always telling our clients it's okay talk to me tell me tell me tell me no share open up it's a safe space well i have to first enter my own safe space and i wanted to make sure that i went through that journey first to know what my client is going through every step of the way so that i could not only clinically help them but just as a human as a woman as a person i could empathize and literally let them know it's okay you're not alone i understand you can anticipate this but it looks like this on the other side So I would just encourage them, find your voice. There's no true freedom, there's no real freedom like finding your voice. Because once you find it, nobody can take that away from you.
0: Nobody can take that away from you. Mental illness is not a menace to society. Do your part, conduct research, visit the NAMI website, work to understand what mental illnesses are and how you can show care, how you can show compassion and respect, Mm -hmm. not command and control. Remember, no one wants to be fixed. We want to be heard. Yes. Reach out to Ms. Ragsdale. Find her on Facebook at Facebook.com slash radio I'm Anita, your host. Be sure to check out live.com for where and when to see our next episode.